Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our one true and loving God who hosts us all. Amen. Please be seated. I love that collect that Julie read at the start of our service. It's an old one, and it's got some of that old language I love, but I love that idea, increase in us true religion. Increase in us true religion. It gives you a sense that there's something at stake. I want to tell you, I think that today's lessons, that within them there is a secret about the life of faith, a secret about true religion. And I know that language of secret is tricky with church, and I know that we don't tend to think of ourselves as a church that keeps secrets. And we, we publish the notes from our vestry meetings every month. We put our audited books out for the whole world to see on our website. We believe in transparency, but I think that there's a bit of a secret here. I would contend we still treat the teaching today as a secret in the church writ large. So let's spill. And the secret is this. God wants to transform your desire. God wants you to God wants to transform your desire. And now I'm going to pause there because there's that line in the letter of the Hebrews and we talked about it at Bible study at nine o'clock. And there are a lot of churches that as soon as they say the word desire, you know that it's going to be a whole sermon about sexual morality. There are churches that are a lot more anxious and worried about the sex that's going on. And that's not where we're going today. Um, in Buddhist tradition, the Buddha taught that Desire is the root of suffering. Our desire for that which is beyond us is the root of our suffering. And I think Jesus is a little closer to that teaching today. And today's story is about God's hope to transform our desire for status. Now Luke tells us that Jesus went to a dinner party. And he noticed how all the guests sought out the best places at the table. And you need to know to understand this reading that where you sat in a first century Palestinian wedding feast was a big deal. It was a, an important social more. And so today, is, Jesus is being practical. And Jesus is being a little bit of a first century Emily Post. She, this is just good advice. You want to be asked to move on up, not step down. Good advice in life. But isn't Jesus also pointing to something deeper? Does this work in our soul beyond just the pragmatic advice? Jesus says, seek out a place. Not up near those stat high status folks, but down with the riffraff. Take your place among those society counts out. There's spiritual benefit. Lest we dismiss this gospel as an artifact of an ancient way of being, remember, I think this is about desire. 
The banquet here is a parable, a metaphor. And Jesus is asking his disciples to think about the places of honor that they seek. Transform your seeking. Now, we may not all be experts in the social politics of first century Palestinian weddings, but we do know something about seats of honor, don't we? Still today, how many office buildings have C-suites where the chief of finance or the chief executive officer, where those offices sit? Everybody knows what floor those are on, right? Let's be realistic, this is Holy Communion. In academia, we know about seats as well, right? We, we actually call them chairs, and some of them are endowed. And the church isn't immune either. They're hiding up behind that second arch, and you're always welcome to walk up into the chancel at Holy Communion, but behind that second arch there, there are two architectural, beautiful pieces of art. There are two chairs, one for the rector of Holy Communion and one for the bishop. And I don't tend to sit in mine because when I sit in mine, the cross tends to fall off the top. I don't know what that says. <laughs> but, but I do know that those chairs were made to communicate something about status. They were made to make you want to sit in them, want to look important. This is the other reason I don't like sitting in mine. Right? They communicate a system of desire. So status is a going concern. And, and frankly, and, and this may shock some of you who think of me as a socialist, but I actually think status is a much bigger driving factor than wealth, than money. And deep down, I, I think something psychological happens that we think status will somehow help us know that we belong. And money is useful because it buys comfort, security, and it can buy those things that mark status, that communicate status. And some poor people get into debt buying luxury goods. And money buys memberships, it buys certain clothes, it buys certain kinds of cars. And for many folks, the pursuit of wealth is really about this desire for status. We want to look a certain way. We want to be the first to get on that airplane. In today's social media environment, we want to reach a certain number of followers and to post photos from a coveted vacation spot to get a certain number of likes. We live and work in a society which is built to shape our desire, to move us toward this status. And we're told you'll feel like you belong if you just get so many more points. And I know that this is a pretty spiritually mature congregation a lot of times, but even if you modulate, even if we are, most of us, modulated, adjusted, we are at times playing this game of status. I love this quote from Thomas Merton. I've said it to you all before, but it goes like this. We can spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success just to realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. Jesus in today's gospel is telling us, don't invest your sense of self in games of status, of honor, of wealth, of power. That way does not lead to happiness. You won't find the belonging you seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the beloved community. And this is the part in the gospel that we treat like a secret, 
Because Jesus tells us where to find what we're looking for, where to find the kingdom already present. Jesus tells us where we belong. It's not far. Just head down to the other end of the table. Just go spend your time with the people the game keeps on the bench, the people who are not playing the game of status. At the party, ignore the pretty people. Go befriend the folks who look a little lost, who look a little uncomfortable. You'll find the kingdom. That's the secret. As best as you can, let go of your desire for status. Last week, I went with the Reverend Julie Graham to a meeting held in the basement of an office building um, up in Ladue. It's the Larsh building. And Larsh is a ecumenical community here in St. Louis, a lot of Catholic folks involved, but it's a spiritual community and, and it's based on one premise. At large, they believe that the way our society treats people with disabilities is harmful, both for the disabled and for those of us who are temporarily able-bodied. I'm going to unpack temporarily able-bodied for a second because that's new to me, but I, it's, I think, important. I, temporarily able-bodied is an identifier. It's one that we're learning out about a little bit around here with our Grace Gathering group and our conversations about making more space for people with disabilities. This makes me uncomfortable, but it's how I'm trying to identify myself because what's hard about temporarily able-bodied is it centers that inconvenient truth that if we live long enough, all of us are going to end up disabled, right? So Lars says that those of us who are temporarily able-bodied and the disabled are both hurt by the way our society treats the disabled. And Lars centers both the physically and intellectually disabled. And the group that Julie and I went to is a subcommittee, it's a small group called Faith and Light. And Faith and Light grew up with families, particularly with people with severe intellectual disability. This was, they, they created a small gathering of these folks because people with intellectual disabilities often are made to feel like they don't belong at church. The theologian, there's a Scottish theologian named John Swinton, he explains it this way. He says, within church communities, it is often unclear as to precisely what position people living with this form of disability are deemed to hold within the body of Christ. These are people who do have no access to the gospel if access is assumed to require a certain level of intellectual awareness and knowledge. And faith and light, they gather because these folks fundamentally believe that every person matters to God that everyone has a calling within community. In Christian community, people should not just be welcome, not just included. To really be part of Christian community, you aren't just tolerated. You're loved. You only really belong in community if you know that your presence would be missed if you didn't show up. And faith and light say that they believe in the words of St. Paul. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And I've got to tell you, based on one night, the last thing I think you would ever find at a faith and light gathering is a sense of shame. 
there were folks with significant intellectual disability and difference. And they gathered together to tell a story of Jesus. This night it was the story of the man born blind. And they acted out the story and they told the story and they had felt bored activities. Interruptions were common. Activities had to be adapted for each individual participant, depending on ability. And the meeting was not efficient. And God knows I love an efficient meeting. It was not efficient. Robert's rules were nowhere to be found. But gathered in that circle, I've got to tell you, I felt the most disarmed I've felt in months. The most welcomed I've felt in a church space maybe ever. The young woman who was the greeter at the door who helped me find a name tag, she was so enthusiastic, so emotionally excited to see me. And then I watched and she was that excited to see everyone who came in the door to help everyone find their place, me included. I was welcome at Faith in the Night, not because of my collar or my position, but simply because I'm a person. And there was no right way to be in that space, no right way to act. And people were watching out for me, but to make sure I was comfortable, that I had what I needed. No one was watching to make sure I behaved. No one needed for me to have the right answer either. And they just wanted me to know how glad they were I was there. And for two hours, we simply shared in the gift of time. Friends, I think on Tuesday night, I caught a glimpse of this secret that Jesus wants to give us. And the secret that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate when he tells the early Christians to entertain angels unaware, to remember prisoners and the people who are mistreated, to go outside the camp to where Jesus can be found. This is the secret that God wants the people to receive in the psalm, though the people would not hear. You will find God when you stop running the rat race, when you slow down and find community with people who are left out of the game of status. A secret breaks open. You can find God's beloved community, God's reign among us, when you love someone who isn't able to climb the ladder of success. Look, I know all of us at times are locked into systems of status at work, among friends and family. The game is afoot. Jesus also encourages us to be encourages us in place to be wise as serpent as innocent as doves. God knows there are times we have to play by the rules of the game, but Jesus wants you to know that the prizes aren't what they seem. Don't attach your sense of worth to position. No status, no wealth, no recognized accomplishment is going to make you whole. Nothing society teaches you to pursue, no brand of clothes, no type of car, no zip code where you live, is going to redeem you. That's all just a game. Many of us are caught in that game at times. Don't trust the game to know you belong. The goalposts in that game just keep moving. Instead, Jesus invites us. Go spend your time with people outside the game. Go enjoy the gift of time with people who aren't playing at all. 
That's the wall that your ladder should be leaning on. The glorious wall of unmerited love. My favorite images in Jesus' teaching are like this one, images of the banquet. Jesus, both in his practice and his teaching, talked about banquets, taught about banquets. It's why I'm confused that so much of Christianity is caught up with visions of heaven, mansions in the sky, how to get there, harps and cherubs. So much of Christianity is lived as a status game. So many churches are busy policing insiders and outsiders. I think we need some true religion. And I think some of the secret of that true religion is at the banquet, the great feast. Because at Jesus' table, all the wrong people are invited. All the people the world counts out, they're at the center. And that's why we gather here each week to enact the banquet, to practice for the great banquet. That's why we try so hard to stretch this table, to stretch ourselves, to really mean it when we say, all are welcome here. Each week we try and anticipate God's great love feast. Jesus' banquet is the greatest party you will ever know because no one will have to be anxious about where they're supposed to sit. No one will have to worry about how they should behave. Everyone will be in on the secret. You can just let go. Let the beloved community catch you. Let the beloved community love you. Celebrate the feast. You don't have to play society's game. Every seat is a seat of honor at Christ's banquet. There is room to spare. Amen.